Right now, I'm in the process of launching a group coaching program called Restaurant Accelerator. Over the past few weeks, I've had the privilege of speaking with a bunch of you out there, and we've pulled together an incredible group of chefs and operators, people who are deeply committed to increasing the profitability of their restaurant, to improving the overall operations in their restaurant, and most importantly, to making sure that the business is there to support their life instead of the other way around. As of this recording, I have only six spots left, but they won't last long. If you want to learn more about this program, then please check out my free video training. Click the link at the bottom of that page to schedule a call. Pause this recording right now and go visit restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash the daily grind to access that free training. Of course, that link is in the show notes. Then when you come back, we're going to talk about changing culture. We're going to talk about skyscrapers and what that tells us about the future of restaurants. I want to talk about the shifting trends in this country, in the world, and what all of that means for restaurants. It's a good one, so please come on back. There's an old saying goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for anyone who's looking. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close, and this is Restaurant Strategy, a weekly podcast all about helping chefs and operators build more profitable restaurants. Each week, we toggle back and forth between a monologue-style format and an interview, but the goal is always the same, to take complicated marketing concepts, make them both understandable and actionable. Why? Because like I always say, information is only as valuable as the action it inspires. Now, this week's podcast is sponsored by Seven Rooms, a guest experience and retention platform for the hospitality industry. From neighborhood restaurants and bars to international multi-concept hospitality groups, their data-driven platform empowers operators to build more profitable direct relationships, deliver exceptional experiences, and increase repeat visits and orders. With a full suite of products, including reservation, waitlist, table management, online ordering, review aggregation, and marketing automation, Seven Rooms is the perfect choice for helping you gain a 360-degree view of your guests, both on and off-premise. Book a demo with Seven Rooms today and receive an Amazon gift card for $50 simply by booking the demo. Simply email hello at try7rooms.com with restaurant strategy in the subject line. Again, send an email to hello at try7rooms.com and put restaurant strategy in the subject line. Now, last month, the New York Times published an incredible feature all about the Empire State Building, right? We, we of course, know this. It's one of New York's great landmarks. And in that article, they talked about how its future is in doubt. So 10 different writers collaborated on the project, and there's an incredible uh, like multimedia component that you just have to check out for yourself. I'm going to include that link also in the show notes so you can go see for yourself. But here's the gist of the article. Tourism in this city is down, right? Of course, really all over the world it's down, but particularly in New York City that, that really survives uh, by, uh, by international visitors and people from all over this country. So visitors uh, that usually go to the famous observatory are down this year 83% over the 2019 numbers. 
This is, of course, right, due to tourism being down. How far down? It's estimated that New York City saw 45 million fewer visitors in 2020 as compared to 2019. That accounts for roughly about $30 billion in lost revenue for this city alone. Below the observatory, of course, right? So there's observatories way at the top of the building, but below are roughly 100 floors of office space. And then, of course, retail on the ground level. So I want to look at all this thing, as the article does. Let's look at the office tenants first. The pandemic is upending corporate life. Surely, many of you guys know that. My wife used to work in an office. Now she's at home. Her office is now the dining room table. It's the same for corporate workers all over the country, right? And and people are trying to figure out the power of remote work, figuring out uh, if a hybrid model is right. The internet has ensured that all of us can be connected no matter where we are in the world. So nine to five life is dying. And I know a lot of people think that's really serious and significant, but uh, just to put it in perspective, corporate life, nine to five as we know it, was really uh, stemmed from the the post-war, right? So the 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond, right? So it hasn't really been around all that long. If it dies, we're not really losing something long-standing. It's something we've grown used to for sure, and it's going to affect the industry. But it's not the death of cities. It's not the death of civilization. It's just going to change things. Now, the writers wanted to know, how is the Zoom revolution affecting the tenants in the Empire State Building? So they connected with roughly half of the building's tenants, and here's what they learned. 41% of the tenants in the building have said that they're going to embrace a hybrid model when workers are able to return to the office, meaning that those workers will work at least part-time from home. And you can imagine that a bunch of them are probably going to work full-time from home. So that means that the companies plan on downsizing their footprint in the building. Nearly 41% of the tenants in the building are going to downsize their footprint. About 5% of the tenants are leaving altogether, planning to to have workers, I guess, just work from home full-time. Only 2% of those surveyed plan to return to a full-time work model much like they were doing in 2019 and before. Now, if we extrapolate that out to the other half of the tenants, I'll remind you, they only connected with about half of the tenants. But if we extrapolate that out and assume that those numbers also hold for the other half of the tenants that didn't respond, that means roughly 10% of the total tenants are not renewing their leases in that building. And more than 80% are downsizing in some fashion. So even if we're conservative with our numbers, that means perhaps 20% of the building will be vacant. Let that sink in. 20% of the Empire State Building will be vacant. Now, let's go all the way down to ground level. The retail shops have been decimated, right? We can assume that to be true, and I'm sure most of you guys are in your own cities, your own markets, you know this to be true. But just to keep this uh, an easy example for all of us to understand. There are two Starbucks in the building and they have either moved or downsized. There's a store called Juice Press. It's another big tenant there on 33rd Street. Their business, uh, this article says, is down 60% from their 2019 numbers. Just think about that. Management is now considering closing on Fridays since most of their business comes from the office workers coming in and out of the building and most of the people that seem to be working uh, at least hybrid choose Fridays to be one of the days that they work from home. This will come as no surprise, right? That makes sense. If you can work at home for part of the week, you might as well make it Friday. 
There's a 24-hour Walgreens in the building. It's the building's largest retail tenant. Used to be 24 hours. It now closes at 10 p.m. Now, this is just one building in a city known for towering skyscrapers. Now extrapolate that out beyond just this one building to the hundreds of skyscrapers across the island of Manhattan. And the effects are catastrophic, right? So imagine what this means for restaurants all over, again, just this city. I'm using this city as an example. If people aren't coming into the city, how can the coffee shops survive or, or the sandwich shops or the lunchtime uh, salad places, right? Think about all the little shops in Penn Station or uh, or Grand Central Station, right? They're, if people are no longer coming in, right, if, 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 uh, if ridership is down by half or even if it's just going to, if it comes back and it's down 20%, can the little coffee shops who pay this huge rent survive without the volume that they were used to? It's a, we know this about restaurants. It's a very delicate balance. So again, the same thing with the sandwich shops, the the salad places, all of that. If people aren't working in the office or if uh, the workers are down, then they're not going down with the same frequency to uh, to get their salad at lunchtime. Now, let's think about nighttime. What about all the steakhouses and fine dining restaurants that pay big city rent? What happens if executives are no longer entertaining clients there in those restaurants because they themselves are actually working from home or at least working from home part of the week? What happens then? No client dinners, no closing dinners. It's easy to see that this becomes a house of cards, right? I mean, it's, it's a scary thing. But I'll remind you that in every crisis, there is opportunity. The businesses that will die are the ones that think of themselves in only one way. This is what kind of restaurant I am. This is what I do. I do this and nothing else. Remember what happened to the railroads, right? They forgot. They, that they weren't in the railroad business, they were in the transportation business. So when cars and buses and planes, when all that came along, they failed to adapt. They didn't realize that the world wanted to transportation. They needed to get from A to B in different ways, in more convenient ways, not necessarily the railroad. They didn't want to be on a schedule. They didn't want to have to go the route that the railroad went. They wanted to get in their car and drive wherever they wanted. They wanted to take the bus that took them where they needed to go. They took a plane to go long distances because they could get there faster as opposed to the railroad. The same is true with us, our industry, restaurants. You are in the serving business. So serve. Figure out what people need and give it to them. I've said this over and over again. Marketing is about solving problems. Figure out who has a problem and then solve that. The people that you were serving before still need you. They just don't need you for the things they needed you for way back when. So you solved a specific problem for them in 2017, 2018, 2019. Now, probably a bunch of them no longer have that problem. Think about this. Think about how the world is changing. The skyscrapers are just one piece of this conversation, but there are actually eight different areas that I want you to think about. Huge cultural trends. What we're watching right now is the world changing before our eyes and it is going to affect our industry it obviously already has and it's going to continue to change whether we want it to or not i've said this on previous episodes i've said this on clubhouse if you guys uh come find me there on clubhouse all the changes we saw in the last 18 months i believe are nothing compared to what's going to happen over the next 18 months and i know that's crazy to think about but there is a reordering happening 
and I want to talk about the trends that I'm seeing that I think we're all seeing, but I just want to draw your attention to them and talk a little bit about what they mean. And I want to get you thinking about what it means for your business, whether you choose to be a part of this shift or whether you plan to be the railroads, let it all pass you by. And then you got to scramble to keep up at the last minute. So eight things, eight huge cultural shifts we're seeing right now that are changing our world, that are reordering our world. Number one, we kind of talked about this, but this is the death of the nine to five, right? Commuting is, is gone. It's going to be gone for some people. That corporate culture is going to be done for some people. What we think about as corporate culture is going to shift as, again, as people work remotely or at least part of the time remotely. If they only have to go in one day a week or two days a week or two days a month, how does that change the world? All of it is being upended. So realize that. So if people needed to be in the city to be close to work and they now don't have to be at work, they have a decision to make. Do they want to still be in the city, let's say? Or if they lived in a suburb close to a city that was conveniently located, uh, but because it's in a good school district or whatever, their, their taxes are sky high and now they don't need to be in this suburb off the train line to get into the city because they're going to work from home most of the most of the time again maybe they're going to come in once a week or a couple of times a month well maybe they don't mind living further away from the city and they just know that they'll make the the longer commute by car into that city right maybe they 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 realize what else they want that before it was i have to live here so i'm close to work but now when work doesn't require you to be here People are having this conversation with themselves, with their spouses, with their families of, well, if I don't have to be here, then where do I want to be? They can go anywhere. The death of the nine to five, we're seeing it. What happens without uh, commuting culture, right? So I just talked about it a few minutes ago with um, the salad shops or the coffee shops. But what about happy hour? What happens to happy hour if you don't have to wait for a train, right? So what happens, uh, so for example, in, in New York City around, uh, around certainly um, uh, uh, the Empire State Building, all around Penn Station there or Grand Central Station, right? So everybody leaves their office and walks towards the train station and gets a drink. They do happy hour. They get these happy hour deals and they have a couple of drinks before they get on the train to go home. But again, if people aren't doing that with the same regularity, what happens to all those Irish pubs, all those bars that that really thrive on that post-work crowd? If Again, if if they can't do that kind of volume they were used to, are they able to pay rents like they were used to? And if they can't pay those rents, do they just leave? Or do their landlords willing are their will, uh, landlords willing to work with them and lower their rent? If those places leave, if those bars leave, what moves in? We're looking at all of this open ground floor, uh, you know, vacancies. If we can't figure that out, it's a huge shift. The death of the nine to five. What that means for corporate culture, commuting, all of it. That's the first one. Number two, I want to talk about the staffing crunch. Of course, you guys know this. This is this is not news to you, but it's worth mentioning here, right? Before pre-pandemic, all we had to do was compete with another restaurant. We had to make sure that our waiters made more money here than in other places. That we uh, that we were a better place to work than the restaurant down the street. And now. What's happening is that the people who want to work in restaurants, who want a career in hospitality, they are back. They are going to continue to work in hospitality. But there are a bunch of people out there who figured out something else to do. They figured out other lines of work, other industries. They realized that their skill set, what they were able to do, what they were capable of doing was not just unique to hospitality. They could do lots of other things. And when restaurants were closed for month after month after month after month, they figured out that 
they would go do something else. So the staffing crunch right now isn't because people are working at other places, and it's not because of the pandemic assistance, the, the unemployment assistance, right? That has largely been uh, been upended. It's because we haven't done a good enough job of, number one, making this a great place to work, a great industry to work in, and then we haven't done a good enough job of communicating to people as to why they would want to work in this industry, right? So we've got to do better to compensate people better, not, not just uh, financially, although that's part of it, but making sure that we understand all of the things that people want out of a job. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. you got to answer that, right? They want security. They want growth. They want to be uh, challenged, all of that. Waiting tables is often not challenging. It's, it's frenetic and stressful times, but it's not challenging. Copying down what people want and go, you know, going to put that in the computer um, isn't really challenging. It's, it's relatively easy and it's kind of mindless, especially after you do it for a while, after a couple of years, after a decade, two decades, three decades, right? People are no longer growing. They're no longer being challenged in their jobs. People figured out other things to do with their time, other ways that they could make, uh, make that money. We have to simply figure out how to make these jobs worth coming back to. And we have to figure out how to communicate why people should come back to these jobs. That's number two, the staffing crunch. Number three, let's talk about inflation. Inflation and rising food costs. Everything is going up. Things are being more expensive. Dining out is going to be more expensive. It already is more expensive now than it was a year ago or two years ago. And it is only going to go up and up and up, especially when you think about the problem I just brought up, this staffing crunch, right? People are going to need to be compensated better. We're going to have to compensate them better and because labor cost is up we're going to have to raise the prices of our uh, of our food the product what it costs to go out to dine is going up and it will only go up more and more and more we are going to have to give people compelling reasons to come out we're going to have to say yes it's worth the the money yes it's worth spending more than you're used to spending yes it's worth that little bit of extra because of you fill in the blank this is all part of it, right? This is, again, there are huge shifts we are seeing. Inflation is up, food costs are up, therefore labor goes up, everything is getting to be more expensive and people are going to look um, and be more judicious about where they spend their money, right? So again, I've talked about this in the podcast before, but uh, everybody has a grocery budget and then there's an entertainment budget and restaurants really don't come out of the grocery budget. If you need food for the month, you have your grocery budget and that's how you you know you go to the supermarket and you stock up your house restaurants are a splurge they're a luxury they're part of entertainment it comes out of the the budget that's you know what fun things do we want to do this month that's where the restaurant budget is and if things are more expensive if the restaurants cost more more than they did before well it doesn't mean that there's more in that pool you can't just go to the well necessarily uh, there's just there's a there's a set budget. I make this much a year, and so this is how much I have to spend every month on groceries. This is how much I have to spend every month on transportation. This is how much I have to spend every month on entertainment. And it just means that they have to be more judicious about where they spend their money, especially if they want to go do things like travel or go to the theater or go to movies or golfing or whatever it is, right? Inflation, rising food costs means that people are going to think more uh, more deeply. Uh, about about where they spend that money. Number four, I talked about this a while ago. I really think it's going to be a thing. The return of the dinner party. And again, number four, this one, return of the dinner party is connected with number three. So like I said, dining out is getting to be more expensive. It will only continue to become more expensive. And, and really think about 
Think about how all this is connected now. So the death of the nine to five, if corporate culture is changing, commuting is going away, at least as we know it, you're not going to commute uh, Monday through Friday every single week after week after week. You're only going to go in once a, once a week, twice a week, maybe a couple times a month. If people aren't already downtown, let's say, why would they want to come all the way downtown, right? To go out to dinner, like dinner and a show. You're at work all day, you go get dinner, you go see a show, and then you come home. Right, that makes sense. But if people are out in the suburbs, if they're working out there, are they really going to finish working at five, get dressed up, get in a train, come all the way in town, or drive all the way into town just to go see a show? Are they going to do that? I don't know. I hope they will, but I don't know that they will. So we have to think about this, you know, urban market versus suburban market, or suburbs versus rural market. How is that going to change? Where are people going to go? If they're going to have, they have to have drive an hour from their home to get to dinner. What's to say they won't just go the other way if there's a really nice uh, you know, restaurant in another town or out in a more rural area? Uh, this, is, this is part of it. Now, I said this was all about the return of the dinner party, and it is. As things get more expensive, people think twice about spending that money. Over the pandemic, we know this, people did a lot more cooking at home. They learned a lot more recipes. Um, they experimented. They made bread famously. Everybody made sourdough. People realized that they were good at certain things. They want to show off those things, right? They learned how to cook dessert, dinner, breads, all of that. And they realized also, again, this is where it's all connected. They realized how much money they saved by dining at home, right? So I think we're going to see the return of the dinner party. We're also seeing this. Now, you can see this as a crisis. Oh, my God, people aren't going to come all the way downtown and dine at my restaurant. Or you can see this as an opportunity. Do you have a catering arm? Do you have the ability to cook for people at home, if people are going to do uh, are going to do dinner parties, can you be the personal chef, the private chef, or can you have that product available that your restaurant can take care of it? So maybe it's not as expensive as private dining, and it's not ex as expensive as dining in the restaurant. Maybe it's somewhere in between what it would cost them to make it themselves from scratch, and what it would cost for them to go to the restaurant. Can you find an opportunity there? Dinner parties are coming back. Can you find a way to be a part of that? Now, I've got another four to share with you right after this word from another one of our sponsors. The most successful restaurants take brand and design very seriously. That includes aesthetics like architecture, lighting, and music, all the way down to silverware and plating. But a restaurant is nothing without the people that make it come alive. So the natural question is, how do you dress your staff? Stock manufacturing has been crafting premium apparel since 2012 and are consistently called upon by Michelin-level restaurants for their expertise. With stock, you get the best of both worlds, all the style of retail with the price, continuity, and customer service of a traditional uniform vendor. They offer an assortment of everyday items that are ready to ship with no minimum order quantity, and you can make these items stand out with small custom touches like embroidery and, and hats and pins. They can also design fully custom uniform plans from the ground up to complement your restaurant's brand, decor, and environment. They are offering a special promotion for listeners of this podcast, wholesale pricing on all in-stock products plus 50% off design fees for fully custom uniforms. Visit stockmfg.co slash chip to get started. Again, stock, S-T-O-C-K-M-F-G dot C-O slash chip. As always, that link is in the show notes. Now, 
back to these shifting trends, right? These huge uh, cultural shifts that we're seeing. We just went through one through four, now number five, Ghost Kitchens. I know you guys might be sick of hearing about it. Uh, one of our sponsors from the show is Virtual Restaurant Group. I had Ethan on the show uh, not too long ago. He is a smart guy. There are lots of people working on this. Uh, certainly, we know of all these brands that are doing it. Ghost Kitchens are here to stay, and you've got to understand that, acknowledge that, and embrace that in whatever that means for you. Whether you get into the Ghost Kitchen business or, or whether you just understand that it is going to be a key part of the business. It is going to grow and grow and grow market share over the next few years. So it's not about uh, people, you know, uh, looking, you know, stealing delivery from other delivery restaurants. Delivery is going to get better and better and better. It's going to be higher end and they are going to start stealing uh, business from restaurants. They're going to start stealing business from uh, the, the dinner parties and from these private chefs and all of this. Ghost Kitchens, we are just at the beginning of it. Right now, let's be really honest. Delivery, takeout and delivery, is not particularly good, right? Food doesn't travel well. People haven't amended their recipes so that uh, it travels and it's still going to be just as good when it gets home. I think Ghost Kitchens, as they uh, continue to grow, uh, they're going to force the industry to get better much faster, much quicker than it has been. They are here to stay, I promise you. If you don't already have a ghost kitchen, if you're not thinking about a ghost brand, you absolutely should. Again, Virtual Restaurant Group is the company that uh, that I've been partnering with here. They're a sponsor of this show. I love what Ethan is building. If you don't have a ghost brand of yourself, go call them. Bring in their brands. They're ready-made for you to just flip the switch and put it out there. But there's also room for you to go ahead and make your own brand, right? Some way... Uh, that you can uh, you can make additional forms of revenue. Again, diversifying revenue streams is something I'm talking about a lot with restaurants. Ghost kitchens uh, are one key way to do this. Number six, then, travel and tourism. Now we were talking about this a little bit, right? When it comes to that Empire State Building, right? That the tourism is down, so people aren't going up to the observatory. But I want to talk about something called the corporate nomad. Right? So again, these are all interconnected. But if corporate culture is dying, at least the one that we've known, this nine to five, if people are working uh, remotely, uh, fully remotely now for good, then why do they need to be in a particular place? Why do they need to be in this city? Why do they need to be in a suburb? Why can't they be on a beach somewhere? The answer is there is nothing holding them back. As long as they get good Wi-Fi connection and they don't mind the, the shifting hours, right? If you're going to be a couple of time zones ahead or a couple of time zones behind, you just got to shift your schedule to be uh, to be aligned with your coworkers. But honestly, I bet you that's going to shift too in time. I, I bet you all of that's going to get um, going to get upended. And there's going to be less and less synchronized time that we can do our work asynchronously. Travel and tourism is changing because I think people are going to be able to go away for longer because they can work for part of it and and basically you know enjoy their time there, really live in paradise or live in a different part of the world, a different different culture, different city, whatever that is. Travel and tourism is going to shift. It's going to be huge. The question is, are you ready for it? Are you ready to receive that? Do you live in a in an area that's gonna um, that's gonna attract people? Right? Do you live in a San Diego? Do you live in Hawaii? Do you live in Charleston? Right? These are places that people are going to want to go to. Are you in some uh, European town that's going to be perfect for people to travel to? 
this is going to be huge. So as a restaurateur, how do you uh, cater to those people uh, that are in, that are staying here for uh, an elongated period of time? Now it's not just about uh, you know capturing the business from the concierge. It's about building regulars because they're going to be there for a month or six weeks or three months. Really think about how travel and tourism is shifting. We are just starting to see this shift, but I promise you two years from now, it's going to be a totally new way. We're, we're going to look at travel in a totally new way. Now, number seven, uh, priorities have shifted. Now, uh, you know, this is morbid, but all of us, we sat over the last 18 months and watched hundreds of thousands of people die in front of us on the nightly news. That affects us, right? So even even if you weren't directly affected, and, and I hope you weren't, so many of us were, so many of us lost people uh, during this time from COVID, you know, because of COVID, even if you didn't lose someone directly, you were affected by it because you watched it. You felt people, you knew people who lost people. You worked with people who lost people. You, you friends from school, whatever. We were all affected at the very least because we watched it over and over and over on the nightly news. Think about your kids. Our, our, our kids spent a year really at home in front of their iPads, right? That's no way for kids to learn, especially, you know, I, I've got a young kid. Uh, he spent his entire kindergarten year in front of an iPad. And really at that point, at that age, it's about socialization. He, he wasn't able to socialize, right? Relationships shifted and, and, and went away. We rethought culturally, collectively, we rethought what really mattered. We, we reprioritized. That's what I mean. Priorities shifted. All of us our priorities shifted in one way or another. Even if we were after the same thing that we were after pre-pandemic, um, we, we took on a new passion, a new focus, right? And there are plenty of people who just said, oh, I'm not going to keep going down this path that I was going down. I just, you know, things have changed. Things have shifted. I, I want to change, right? Priorities have shifted for all of us, your guests included, your employees included, you got to think about what that means for you, right? What that means for you and your business. Don't just go back and do the business the way it was meant to be or the way you had done it before. If it no longer fits in with your world, if it no no longer fits in the in this new reordered world, then let it go. Rethink what your business is or what it can be. If this business isn't working for you, then let it go and open another business or shift this business, pivot this business to be something that will work for you. That's number seven. Priorities shifted for all of us. Finally, then number eight, I, I can't I can't uh, go through uh, uh, an episode like this and not talk about technology. The rise of technology is huge. It is here and it is only going to uh, it's only going to grow exponentially, right? Especially in restaurants. Automation, table ordering, kiosks, AI. Uh, we haven't even really talked about the back of the house stuff that's happening with robotics back there, but I'm telling you, our restaurants are fundamentally changing and we can either say it's for the worse or for the better. I choose to embrace this and say it is changing for the better. We can now run with less labor because we have tools like table ordering and kiosk service, right? Why do we need cashiers when we have kiosks, when the kiosks can do the job better, more efficiently, and certainly more cost-effectively than putting a person behind the cashier? Why do we have waiters uh, doing their waiter thing when we can do table ordering, either an iPad on the table or uh, using QR codes or NFC tags so people can order directly on their iPhone? Um, automation is changing the way that we engage with our people via 
email and text message. Um, you know, now people have branded apps, and so we have push notifications. You can automate all of that. You can segment your list, retarget, get to know your people, and treat your people uh, individually. We've never been able to do that better than we can do that right now. The rise of technology is here. It is huge, and it can help you run, operate, and, and, and grow a very profitable restaurant empire if you choose to do it. And hey, listen, your empire can be one restaurant. It can be 50 restaurants, but technology can help in that. It is a huge, huge piece of what's happening right now. Technology has changed everything in our world, and restaurants were just the last piece to come. Again, I've said this before. Restaurants were invented, basically. Restaurants as we know them was invented, were invented 250 years ago, let's say, right? And they've basically gone unchanged, right? Yeah, maybe we got a POS system, so instead of, you know, writing it down on a dupe and giving it to the chef, we now write it on a dupe and then type it into the, to the computer so we can track that. But the POS system just replaced something, you know, an analog piece, but it didn't change the way service happens. And now there are things that uh, have the opportunity to change what is happening. My point in all of this, what's the point? The world is changing right before our eyes and the ones who get left behind are gonna be the ones who refuse to acknowledge it, the ones who go kicking and screaming. We can be those people. We can, we can go kicking and screaming or we can be the ones who help reshape our industry, who reshape the world. Remember, plenty of things are changing but the important stuff remains. People want to be taken care of. Our job is to serve them, to solve the problems that they have. The problems they have now are different than the ones they had even two years ago, but it's our job to serve them. So the big stuff, the important stuff remains. People want to be taken care of. We can take care of them. People want to gather. Uh, people want to celebrate. They want to be fed. They want to be around others. All of that, again, we can do. The places where that happens will shift. The way it happens will shift. But those who show up get to make the rules. That's what this podcast is all about. It's understanding the shift and being part of the shift, being the ones at the front of the line guiding the shift. Be the one who shows up. Be the one who shows up. Listen, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to be here with me today. Lots of love to our sponsors. And remember, if you want to go snag one of those last few spots in the group coaching program, go now. Watch the video. Schedule a call with me. It is totally free. At the very least, there's no pressure. We'll get to know each other a little bit better. I love hearing about your, uh, about your businesses. That's been the best part of these last several weeks, getting to hear from a lot of you guys, hear about what's working, hear about what's not working, uh, and, and be there as a sounding board. I, I spend uh, all my time just, just talking out into the nothing. It's really nice uh, to be able to go from a monologue to a dialogue every once in a while. So again, go schedule a call with me. It's totally free. I promise if you're right for this program, you will know. Restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash the daily grind. That link is in the show notes. That is it for this week. Stay cool, stay creative, and I will see you next time. Restaurant Strategy is made possible by the generous support of our sponsors as well as our Patreon supporters. A special shout out to all of our gold and platinum members, Ty Hames, Bob and Kate Carpenter, Scott Middleton, Chuck and Denise Close, Stephen and Ann Fagan, Mario Tomatos, and Christopher Tana. If you want to become a supporter, please go visit patreon.com slash restaurant strategy. Again, the link is in the show notes.